You're listening to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHB Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here are the hosts of the show, Jason and Mo. All right, guys, welcome back to AHP, the Straight Shooting Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I've got Muzz again with me. How you doing, man? What's going on? G'day, Jason, and welcome back, everyone, to the Australian Hunting Podcast. And uh, thanks for listening to the Straight Shooting episode, guys. And, uh, yeah, Jason, um, uh, again, we meet over the phone. It's becoming much more difficult, mate, to uh, get a face-to-face. We've got very busy lives uh, Jason's been doing a bit of hunting, and um, I've been just so flat out with my family. But uh, yeah, mate, it's been uh, it's been a really good uh, start of the year. It's been we've had a lot of hot days, and um, I don't think many people will be doing much hunting during those hot days. But if you have been doing some hunting, let us know what it's like out in the heat. I just went away, but you know, you're talking about us meeting face to face, and I guess it's good because you know I don't have to see your face in person, so it's a win win for me and you. <laughs> 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 but um, now I've been hunting. Where did I go? I went down to the Riverina. Unfortunately, I guess it was a bit of a lackluster trip, you might say. Yeah, a couple of guys got sick and one had to go home. And then, you know, I was planning to hang out with some other guys and they got sick too. And it was just, a, I mean, it was a good trip, but I guess it put a little bit of a, you know, dampener on the trip, having to sort of come back a bit early. Towards the end, I think I spent about three days on my own towards the end, which, you know, as you know, when you want to go hunting, generally I like a bit of the you know, camaraderie, hanging out with other hunters, chatting, being with friends, sitting around the fire. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. And most of all, there wasn't much really going on there with game. The drought muzz seems to really have affected, you know, game within the Riverina, especially on rabbits. There definitely was nowhere near as many as there was last time. We had to find a few different properties, which was good. But even then, the, the rabbits were a little bit finicky. They're a little bit jumpy. They'd come out of the warren not for very long and a lot of moving around, then back into the warren. And, you know, it was just just a difficult time, man. So, but, you know, hey, any time hunting is better than uh, going to work, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, but, look, that's one of the reasons why I mentioned if you had been out and hunting in, in, in the heat, uh, let us know what it was like. And mainly because uh, I'm interested to know what the drought has uh, has done to uh, the animal population, and I know for a fact that I've been hearing reports, and most of you obviously have too, on the news about kangaroos and basically starving. Uh, and um, look, it's been devastation in North Queensland, and uh, all the cattle uh, that's been done over by the flood. I mean, just an absolute natural disaster of monumental proportions. So look, uh, guys, it's uh, it's, it's, it's been a very, very tough year uh, for farmers and for people out in land. And it's really something that they talk about on radio nonstop, yet it just barely makes uh, a dent in the six or seven o'clock news. So it's quite disappointing, really, that we're spending so much money, our federal government and state government spending so much money on all this other nonsense. Uh, but there's absolutely no support, or very little, I should say, in comparison to the money that's spent on other things, very little support for our farmers and uh, all the people that work on the land. 
Yeah, it's definitely made a huge difference down the Riverina, those rabbit levels. I mean, there were other properties that had decent numbers, but the you know, the properties were they were just too small. But you, you bring up a good point about the kangaroos. And uh, interesting, and if you recall, this member I came over your house one time was actually really good. I was quite surprised, guys. Uh, he, I think it was the was it the bush plum kangaroo. I think you might have got it from Coles or Woolworths. And Muzz pulls out this uh, aluminium container. And I'm thinking, you know, the ones that you cook like or you put your barbecuing meats in and, you know, when you're sort of storing yep. them to eat. And he pours a bit of, you know, I think it was olive oil in the bottom of the aluminium container. And I was like, he puts the, the meat in there. I'm thinking, what's this guy doing? And then he's got the pizza oven running out the back of his house, which is this big one that he made. And all of a sudden he puts it in and then literally about what? maybe six, seven seconds later, if that, you just hear this, it's just getting so hot. And it was probably the best, you know, tasting roux I've had probably in all my life. It was probably, I can't believe we cooked it like that. I, I thought this guy was crazy. <laughs> yeah, mate, I've got plenty of tricks up my sleeve. And the old pizza oven, yeah. when she gets up to about 500 degrees, uh, mate, it, it sizzles the, uh, all the all the skewers and the meat and everything and just cooks it super quick. It seals all the juices in there and uh, it tastes great. So kangaroo meat, and I, I love it. Yeah. I love kangaroo meat. It's some of the sweetest meat you'll ever have. So, yeah, look, um, speaking of that too, Jason, just recently I'm, I'm pretty sure you've seen it on, on Ben Fordham Radio on 2GB. There was an interview with um, Professor regarding uh, kangaroo meat. And uh, the fact that how animal lib animal lib groups have pretty much really more or less in com- combination with the drought have just destroyed the kangaroo meat industry, and uh, it's certainly nowhere near what it used to be. And we've got a massive overpopulation of kangaroos out there now. And uh, the latest numbers that, that she was quoting was like something like about forty five million kangaroos. That yeah. is just a no- that is like ap- unbelievable numbers. Uh, I remember hearing a long time ago that it was, it was something like about 25 million. And even then I thought, wow, that's huge numbers. But the latest figures show about 45 million kangaroos. So obviously with, with that volume of uh, animals out there, it's, it's no wonder that during times of drought and uh, the weather conditions being what they are, that you'll have uh, massive, massive deaths and starvation. Yeah, we just can't sustain the numbers of these kangaroos that are currently around and apparently the industry's dropped off a bit. We'll get that later on, Muzz, because I think that's a good one we'll bring up and we'll play the audio because it was actually really good that this lady, Catherine Moresby, was actually seemed to be very pro-hunting. Yes, well, the droughts had a major effect on these things and uh, it's something that it's content that we'll get to a little bit later on, eh, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. Also, I went to, to Queensland too. I got an invite from Shooting Stuff Australia to do, you know, some videos up in Queensland. That was a big, a good time. I shot lots of different guns, and uh, just want to give those guys a shout out for inviting me. And uh, you know, what a great time, man! Shot, you know, desert techs and different types of firearms, shooting long range up to you know eight hundred meters to a kilometer. It was a great time. So, uh, just want to thank those guys for the invite. It's always good when you know YouTubers and podcasters and all the people get together, and you know, it's like I guess one big happy family you might say and you know everyone working together i think is important to you know try and get our rights back sometime in the future so that was pretty fun too yeah well, absolutely um uh, shooting stuff australia has produced some a lot of good and funny videos over the years 
they're doing a good job, those guys. All right, guys. We also wanted to say, too, that, you know, obviously writing into the show is really important, leaving voicemails. I just want to stress that we had some audio that we played from Nigel Farage's show towards the end of the last Straight Shooting podcast, which we're going to discuss just a little bit later. But don't forget to write in, guys. We really want your comments. We really want your questions. You know, if you think there's important stuff that we need to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to put an email, go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. You can click on the email there or the contact button or just Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com, which is the most important one. That will come to me. I know, guys, sometimes I get back to some people. I'm pretty busy. So just if you're writing a question, I will address it on the show. I promise you that. So um, provide it's a great question. It's something we can put on the show. Mate, absolutely, we will put it on the show. I think I do about 99.9% of the comments that come in. So please send them in. And if you also, if you want to support the show, it's really important. I've been doing this since, what, Muzz, around 2011. And I think Muzz got on board in about 2014. We give up a lot of our time to do this, and there's a lot of people that support us on Patreon just for a couple of bucks even. Um, you know, support the show because that's what's most important and it helps us along and you know, brings this content to you. So if you could do that, that would be uh, absolutely fantastic. All right, we're going to get into a few of the questions and comments, you might say, from all the people on Facebook and that have written to me. So this is from Shannon. And a good email goes, hey, mate, just wanted to say a massive thumbs up from me, doing a great job. Even though I'm only on episode 49, I'm getting there. Being hooked on your podcast, and it's the only thing I listen to on the way to and from work. Luckily, it's a 45-minute drive. Well, he's a bit crazy to be listening to us, Muzz, uh, for 45 minutes. The only thing he listens to, but, you know, I, I guess that's not a bad thing. He goes, you have a lot of episodes I haven't listened to yet, but you ha- if you haven't had him on, I'm thinking you should get the host from Meat Eater on to have a chat. Guy seems like a great guy in what he does and would be interested in listening to him too. So I think he's talking about Steve Rinella from Meat Eater. I, yeah. have tr- I have tried in the past, but, I mean, he's a pretty busy guy. He's doing a lot of podcasts himself. He's doing a lot of video recording. Um, I pretty much, I think they rejected the first time just on, based on time frame. So I might try again and uh, see how it goes. But a great one from Shannon. And, and just one thing to, from Shannon, he's only up to episode 49, Muzz, and obviously now we're up to pretty much about 190 episodes. You know, and you probably will, and I've noticed that too. Obviously, guys, a couple of things we thought about or the things we discussed, you know, four, five, six years ago, not only myself, but I'm, I can probably speak for Muzz too, that a lot of our opinions have not necessarily changed, but we're a little bit bit different a little bit wiser i guess you might say after four or five years and we start to see things you know as they really are than what we did say five or six years ago and you can definitely hear a a progression of change uh over those five years from what we used to say and to what we say now and um i think that's obviously evolution in regards to the podcast do you really think so, mate? I don't think so that much. Not not changing, but I think we're a bit more. I guess we're a bit more flat now. We're a bit more, you know, in what we not flat in what we say, but we're we've been around the trap, so to speak, and we're not naive anymore to certain things. Where I could say initially, probably in the first year or two, you know, we started the show. I was a bit green, maybe maybe not yourself, but I would admit I am. And as you develop over the years, you I don't know, not, opinions not necessarily changing, but you can definitely hear an evolution of the show. I think for the better. But you know, what do you think? Mm. Yeah, look, I, I, I believe you are correct because, like, for example, my opinion on the mental health issue, for example, has changed uh, quite a lot. Uh, and uh, I guess my belief in the ability of some minor parties to be able to do something has changed, you know what I mean? Uh, but uh, other than that, look, I don't think my opinions have greatly changed. I think they pretty much stay the same. Uh, yes, we've learnt a lot. We're a lot wiser now. 
And uh, I did talk about that to David Leinhelm too on our previous show, Muzz, as well about, you know, it was the last question. If people haven't listened to the podcast, pretty much go to the last 15 minutes. And I did ask him, we talk a lot about, you know, achieving results, having wish lists and what we're going to achieve. You know, if you vote for me, this is what people are going to achieve and this is what we're going to hope to do. But as you know, in 22 years, it's been a very, very hard slog. And I said, how do we, I guess, push forward to the future if, you know, the wish list don't come to fruition because, as you know, results are very thin on the ground. We're not really achieving the results we really set out to do. And I guess my point in all this is, and this goes for all the minor pro-gun parties, is well, when are we going to actually start re- achieving results? Because that's the ultimate the ultimate goal. It's okay to have wish lists. It's okay to have, well, this is what we're going to do. This is our fandangled great policy. But if we can't achieve that policy going forward, well, then it's, it's all really in jest for nothing if we're not going to actually achieve results. And when we do have a balance of power, we can't squander that balance of power. Yeah, that's right. Look, I think that a lot of the minor parties are basically still trying to figure out what can be achieved and what is the best way to achieve it. So that's, that's to me, is the biggest issue is that uh, I think that sometimes they miss the mark in terms of what can be achieved. And uh, there, there are certain times they obviously miss opportunity as well. So We've got to we've got to really nail down some of these uh, issues that uh, that are achievable, and uh, once we get to a point where we can achieve them, to really you know finalise the issue and not basically go in half cocked and end up with something that's going to get watered down or something where the premier or the prime minister can easily back off on. So that that that's the biggest challenge and. The problem is most premiers or prime ministers don't want to uh, make deals with minor parties because that gives the minor parties a lot of a lot bigger voice, obviously, a lot more, lot more weight behind the issue and, of course, increases their constituency. So that's the other side of the coin too. Even if it's a good idea, even if it's the best idea in the world, if it comes from a minor party or so-called fringe elements, then major parties are not likely to take it on because they just don't want to uh, give any give any more credence to those uh, uh, those minor parties. So that's basically the the hurdle that we've got to overcome, and we've just got to really try and get these minor parties to get the major ones to come on board with some of the policies, especially when it's good policy. Sometimes I think that only happens when they're, you know, when they're forced to. We've already seen Gladys Berejiklian come out and say, well, you know, don't support the Shooters and Fishers Party. I want Labor not to support the Shooters and Fishers Party in New South Wales, obviously because you know, they're scared about losing you know, obviously seats coming up at the next election, which is in about six weeks' time. Yeah, that's right. Look, uh, the problem is a lot of these preference deals are made, and as... Part of the preference deal, if the two big majors want to wipe you out, they can just preference each other in a lot of cases and and they can wipe you out, just just like they've done with Pauline Hanson in Queensland. So that's a good example. It's, it's, it's a major flaw in our political system. But I guess the other side of the coin is the first-past-the-post system, which they usually have, which they basically have in England, where you have a situation where if a candidate gets 30% of the votes then he wins the seat. And never mind the 70% that didn't vote for him, you know, he wins the seat. That's the other, that's the other part of the uh, equation. So you end up with candidates that are only supported by 30% of the electorate and the other 70% basically get ignored. So, look, uh, it's, there's, uh, 
there's two sides to every coin and there's a, a necessary evil on with, with both systems. So unfortunately, we've just got to deal with the systems that we have and, and try and make the best results that we possibly can, Jace. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Elliot Jones says, hey, Jason, first, I just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, and thanks for your continued amazing work. Well, thank you very much, Elliot. That's nice of you to say. With the New South Wales election coming up in the next few months, I'm hoping you can do a podcast or a straight shooting with Muzz talking about the best way for us shooters, how we can cast our vote. I'd also like to become more active and write to some of our MPs and help our cause. Have you got a template or anything I can use to get me started? This might be a dumb question, but I've never really engaged politically. So should I be writing to the member for Wollongong, Paul Scully? So that's obviously the area that he's in. Yes, mate, absolutely. You've got the police minister. You've got the current government, the Berejiklian government, right to the premier. Uh, There's plenty of people to write to. You can write to the prime minister if you want to write federally. You know, a lot of people say it does make a difference. Some people in the shooting community say it makes no difference at all. But it's better than sitting on our quinces, mate. They've got to know that we are actually writing in because if they're not hearing from us, they just think they can run roughshod over us at every opportunity. That's right. I mean, look, I'm a big believer in writing to your local member, especially first and foremost to your local member and then to the minister and then after that to the premier, of course. But look, this is how it works, Jason. It's a bit of a mixed bag when you actually write to someone because you could be just a just an average citizen writing to your local member about a particular issue and if that local member feels passionately enough about that issue i mean you could get something done about that or you could be a multi-million dollar company writing to the premier about something that you're not happy and the premier just completely disregards you ignores you you know what i mean so it really does it really doesn't matter like in certain circumstances, it really doesn't matter how big of a voice you have, if you're a big corporation or not, or if you're just the average citizen. It, it, it just comes down to whether or not that particular minister or, or prime minister or, or premier wants to take on the issue. So, look, it's definitely worthwhile writing because you never know your luck. It's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. I've, I'm, from my experience, and I've been, I've been writing to local members and, and uh, ministers for many years, and... Um, Sometimes I'll get a great response. Most other times I'll get no response at all. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to keep hassling them too, I think. Uh, that's the most important thing. If they're not writing back to you, you don't just give up. Or if they give you a stupid answer, which looks like a generic response, write back and say, listen, I don't appreciate a generic response. Can you please address my questions I've asked you to address in my correspondence? Like, don't give up, guys. That's the most important thing. Don't be deflated. Just keep moving forward and try your best. It only takes, as we have said on a lot of different podcasts, guys, it takes five minutes or ten minutes every week to make a difference. And, and I think ultimately if they don't know that we're writing to them and they think, well, we're not hearing from shooters, they can just continue to keep screwing us over, which they inevitably always keep doing. We've seen a further and further restrictions over the last couple of years. And that gets back to my point when I was interviewing David and goes for all pro-gun parties. It's okay to have these ideas about what we want to achieve, but we've actually got to achieve them. And when we do have a balance of power, 
we've actually got to utilize that to make a difference because if we don't then what's all this for and if you know, we actually have a balance of power mars we've really actually got to utilize that balance of power and and people keep saying well if we just vote for us but it's been 22 years since port arthur i mean when are we going to get enough people in parliament how long is it going to take another 20 years another 40 years in 20 years we only have really what say four or five shooters and fishers four ldp if you classify one nation as being, I guess, sympathetic to shooters, do we have 15 people? Um, you know, that's in 22 years, that's not really a good result, really, when your grand scheme of things are people defending our sport. Yes, look, uh, it's something, it's, it's going to be a very long battle. It's something that we have to keep fighting and we can never give up. And it's something that we need to pass on, I guess, to our kids and to remind them of what freedom really is. Now, the other thing, too, Jason, that I'll like to talk about which i've become actually a lot more passionate about over the last year or two uh probably just as much as i am passionate about the gun issue is the fishing and mate i'm just absolutely ropeable on, on what's going on with fishing it's just it's just one stuff up after another and this fishing tax uh this insidious fishing tax i like to call it um it's just Mate, it's it's an absolute dog's breakfast, and it has ruined fishing, in my opinion. It's ruined it uh, in New South Wales, and a lot of people are start slowly starting to realise it. And it's something we're going to get a, on top of later on in the program. All right, next correspondence from Adam. He said, "Hey, Jason, oh, I can see where this one's going, Muzz. Uh, I'm wondering if you're going to be printing any shirts by any chance. A black shirt with a big fox logo, like the sticker, would be mint. Well, all right, Muzz, I'll let you answer this one." Well, Adam, thanks very much for your email. I've been telling this doofus for a long time to start <laughs> making some shirts. But, you know, like, like with everything, he doesn't listen. And you can only <laughs> you can only bring a mule to water. You can't make him drink. You know, it's, uh, it's a good idea, mate. I absolutely agree with you, 100%. And, uh, well, Jason, that's pretty much all I have to say on the subject. <laughs> I must admit he has, guys. Listen, the thing is, I sell a fair few stickers, guys. But there is a – and it's not an excuse by any stretch of the imagination. There is quite a – large expense when you actually go because i'd have to go overseas to buy them making them in australia is a fairly expensive uh, ordeal and you know obviously it's a quite a significant outlay to to get shirts and hats made in the in well the, jason yeah, here we go. so now i'm now i'm getting smashed here we go i do i shouldn't yeah. have said anything <laughs> no, well, well listen you know i've been smashing you uh, you know off the air <laughs> quite a lot with, 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 with this subject but look if you know someone, if you're listening to this program right now, if you know an Australian shirt manufacturer that can help Jason out with some shirts and hats for hopefully a discounted price, please contact. Please <laughs> Heavily discounted, guys. Note heavily discounted. <laughs> heavily discounted. So, so please uh, contact Jason and uh, give him the details. Hopefully an Australian manufacturer can help you out, Jason. Yeah, Barry writes, hi, Jason. Another great interview. I've been voting for David for a while. I know there's only so much one person can do, but at least for me, I feel like he is fair dinkum. Cheers, Barry. Yeah, well, good stuff, Barry. Thanks very much. Thank you for your listenership. Yes, uh, Jason, that was a really good interview with David, and you've interviewed him a couple of times, and uh, you're absolutely right. There's only so so much that one person can do, but we need at least four or five Davids in, in every state parliament. I mean, that's what, it, that's what it's going to take. We need at least four or five Davids. And unfortunately, most Australians just, just don't understand liberty. They just don't understand. They don't know what it is. It's like, it's like you know, trying to give Vegemite to someone from Japan. You know, they're looking to look at the stuff and you think, what do I do with this? Do I put it on my 
Do I put it on my bearings? What do I do with it? You know what I mean? So that, that's the problem. You know, liberty is like, you know, Vegemite to a Japanese person when it comes to Australians. It's very difficult for them to understand what it is and, and why it's important. They more and more are leaning towards over the last 20 years, they're leaning more to the left and more towards government control and bureaucracy. They love more government because the size of government has been getting bigger and bigger every year and uh, the people don't mind it. They love regulation. They love control, um, especially on the citizen, unfortunately. That's, that's the problem. So it's very difficult to win people over with the message of liberty because, A, they're foreign to it, and, B, like, there's usually very little money in liberty. You know what I mean, Jason? People just don't understand. I see this on the, I think it's the LDP page a fair bit. People say, well, why do we need these firearms? Oh, why are you interested in stopping or having airsoft? They just don't understand liberty. Don't you understand that one is yeah. good for the other? It's if I support... the, yeah, it's always from the perspective of why do you need this? Like, as in It's literally of, well, the worst well, argument I, need, isn't it? I know. It? It's like, well, I don't need it, so why do you need it? <laughs> why do you need like, seven firearms? Uh, because I collect <laughs> them, enjoy them, and I like shooting them. It's That's as exactly. simple as that. I don't need to justify why I need something in a free society. Sorry. You're spot on, Jason. You know, absolutely right. So it's, it's, it's But it's a difficult argument to, to sell uh, to the average Aussie that uh, all he cares about is, you know, is going to work, coming home and having a few beers and putting telly on. It's interesting because people say, yeah, I'm pro this party or pro libertarianism, for an example, but I don't agree with the firearms, though. (laughs) It's like you're missing the whole concept entirely of the the movement. Uh, If you want to, if you're into growing flowers, great. I support that. If you're into snowboarding and doing other bits and pieces, great. Have at it. If you you want to become a professional welder, have at it. I like shooting firearms, so I'm supporting you, but I expect the same support in return but also jason i'll tell you what i'm not 100 percent libertarian either right so i mean that's something that i have to admit because the one thing the biggest failing that libertarians have is um they just don't they just haven't really nailed the foreign policy and their policy on for example migration right so there's certain factors that they just really haven't nailed and also to be honest their policy on um industrial relations I mean, you can't have unlimited migration and no industrial relations laws. Um, you'll end up having an entire uh, population of people that is working for absolutely nothing, for a bowl of rice, really. You just can't have that. You can't have full exploitation of people uh, and allow unlimited freedom to all the people who are extremely wealthy uh, because it's just, it's just not going to uh, make a great society. So, there, I, look, I, I am a libertarian about 85% of the way. I'm not a full libertarian, and I admit that, but I understand some principles that work and others that don't. So, I mean, that that's uh, it's important for us to admit that as well. Great uh, writing from Mark. Hey, Jace, thanks for the interview with David. The last question you had for him really hit the nail on the head for me. What we can do as LAFOs to change our draconian gun laws. As a 40-year-old father of two and a LAFO for over 10 years, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. 
My highest priority are the use of suppressors for hunting purposes. When in the field, I often do not think about putting on my hearing protection before shooting. The common misconception regarding suppressors with my family and friends, just as David alluded to, that they are silencers. Absolute rubbish. I wear my hearing protection for lawn mowing and leaf blowing, but apparently I'm a criminal looking to snipe someone if I want a suppressor for hunting or range shooting. I emailed David last year on this concern, and to my surprise, he personally replied very quickly, stating his positive position on the issue. After this, I signed up as a member of the Liberal Democrats, and even though I do not 100% agree with all his beliefs, you will never agree totally with a politician on everything. In the New South Wales State election, I will make my vote count for sure. All the best, mate, Mark. Yeah, good good email, Mark. It's, uh, yeah, look, I agree with you. Suppressors should be a no-brainer. I mean, they're basically mandatory in some countries. I mean, I think including England in some areas are mandatory. And uh, look, you just you just can't get politicians to listen because what happens is is that you um, present a great argument and great reasons to politicians. Politicians then go to the police minister or they get contacted by the police commissioner. The police commissioner says, oh, no, 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 we'll have all these snipers out there, you know, shooting people without no one hearing it. You know, like, I mean, and then just, you know, politician gets spooked by that and nothing happens. Look, uh, unfortunately, that's just how it is in Australia. It's very, very hard to get the wheels in motion on things like this because politicians are very, very risk averse to these sort of things. They don't want to cop any negative media attention, uh, especially when it comes to the subject of firearms or anything to do with firearms. So, look, mate, what we need, what we need, just more people like, like I said, that more David Lionhelms in Parliament, more people like that, more Robert Borsaks in Parliament as well. You know, those sort of people. That's the sort of people that you need to, you need to vote in to government to increase the amount of voices in government that are going to support our cause. Yeah, Russell writes in. This one is probably a bit unrelated to. It's more about the YouTube. He said, "Hi, AHP." So obviously means me, Jason. I was watching one of your videos on my old ticker seven mil oh eight and load development. Do I still have it? He goes, "How did I find it as a hunting rifle?" He says he has a three oh eight Lithgow LA one oh two, and he's a bloke of smaller build, and he's finding the three oh eight a little bit excessive when shooting at the range. He goes, "He looked at the two sixty, but it can't be used for deer in Victoria and New South Wales." Well, let me say one thing about that first: it can be used in New South Wales because they're only a guide in New South Wales. It's over 270 in Victoria. So that's the caliber restrictions in Victoria. So he goes, now he's considering a 7 mil 08 for reloading. Factory ammo doesn't seem excessively expensive, uh, but I'd still prefer to reload possibly the Barnes TTSX projectiles and Hornady SST. First off, Russell, good question, man. I had a 7 mil 08. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. That's uh, a great caliber, mild recoil. My thing is to say definitely reload for it because it's, it is going to be expensive, uh, but it's, it is hard to find parts that's the only reason i went over to 308 because the more availability of parts but if i could give you one biggest tip if you have an issue with your 308 i don't think you'll need to replace it if you go to the shop you can get it's a recoil pad it's called the limb saver air tech and it almost uh, russell it almost feels like jelly it's crazy i can literally shoot my 308 all day off the bench uh, absolutely fantastic piece of kit i used to not be not supporters of recoil pads but i didn't really think they did a lot back in the day but I tell you what, I've got a 243 without the Limbsaver AirTech recoil pad, and it has a much sharper kick from the 243 
than the 308 with the Limb Saver AirTech. So I would definitely consider that, mate, for your 308. I don't think you'd need to replace it. But hey, if you're like me and you want to buy more guns, go buy your 7 mil 08. It's a fantastic caliber, and I recommend that one to a lot of different people as well. So I think, Mars, what are you shooting? You're shooting your 30-30, haven't you? What, what have you got now? Yeah, I've got a 243 or 3030. Look, I, I regret buying my 243, to be honest. I should have bought a 308. If you have a limb save on the 243, Jason, you need to do a bit more exercise, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I quite like this. See, I've got a 308, Tika T3 Superlight. It's got a Zeiss Conquest 3 to mm. 9 by 40 on it. I've got a lot of deer just recently, and it's so weird talking about that, Muzz, before we get into the next fan email. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, five years, remember, I took to get my deer. You used to come with me on a lot of occasions as well, and, and, and you'd see me being dejected coming back after uh, Michael helps me out on the Facebook page. I think we took him on our first hunt and he and he got a couple of deer on his first hunt. And you know, I spent five years trying to trying to shoot deer, but ever since then, literally every time I've gone out, I've got a deer. Like, how can you go out for five years, get nothing, and then every trip since the last time I've gone out, like last two or three years, I've pretty much got a deer on every trip. It's just you can't figure it out, can you? Look, uh, it, it can happen like that because it's a, it's a, you know, it's a process. You're learning, you're, you're gaining, um, you know, a lot of skills. You're um, learning how the animal behaves, where it hangs out, its habitat. You know, those sort of things. It all comes down to experience, Jason. And it doesn't surprise me that people can take two, two, three, four, sometimes up to ten years to shoot their first year because it's, you know, it can be a very long process, especially if you live in an area where there's not great populations of them, right? So, look, I can completely understand that, and that's completely normal. It took me at least three years before I shot my first one. So, you know, that's, that's just part of the course, and it's a, it's a great learning journey, Jack. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories, and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. I find it very rewarding, actually, because we go to a... I do have some private land, but we've got some state forest hunting, especially when we go out as a, a decent-sized, small group of friends. You know, I really like hunting the public land stuff. I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I really enjoy, you know, oh, getting absolutely. out there and using our crown land. And, you know, what? when you get a good... You really find you do some scouting. You find a really good place to sit and wait because I find that's really been working for me at the moment, especially in the thicker stuff, sitting and waiting, finding some game trails, sitting and waiting in some good feed areas, looking at prints on the ground when it's wet and really just hitting those areas and taking the time to sit there. Sometimes I'll sit in a, in a morning from you know, 5.45, 6 a.m. in the morning on light until about 10 o'clock, four hours. You do get a bit fidgety, but... It's fun, man, and you know you really start to see and hear things, and you're not moving around. And on the last trip, I think I went on Muzz last year. I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but I was in a forest and saw a couple of dogs, and then I didn't shoot them because I was just in case someone was around and they were someone's dogs. I think they were wild. Then saw a couple of horses, and then yeah, it's amazing what you see when you sit and wait, and you take everything in, and you start to learn what you know what's happening around you. When you sit and wait, your senses just get heightened, and when you walk around, I think you miss a lot of that. That's true, that's true. I mean, when you're walking around, your senses are crowded by the noise of your feet and, uh, and, and what, you're, what you're stepping on and the movement of your body. You're not really focusing on listening to the animal sounds and also observing what's happening around you because you're moving. So when you're moving, it's much harder to observe the little details. 
And uh, that's why, just like you said, sitting and waiting and, and, and observing uh, all the elements around you and taking everything in really uh, raises your awareness of, uh, of your environment and makes you a much better hunter because you'll notice things that previously when you're walking, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even glance twice at because you just would not pay attention to it. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Jason. Yep, another Mark writes in. This is, hey, Jason, I listened to you. This is a bit about scopes, so probably unrelated to straight shooting, but still a good email anyway. Just listen to your latest episode with Aaron from Shooting Stuff Australia. I use a Bushnell in my hunting rifles, but I find the Leopold VX3i 3 9 by 40 is great quality for my 7mm, 223 and 308 with the CDS dial system. They are very clear. Uh, I mainly hunt in state forests at distances of up to 150 metres, so a big tactical scope is useless to me. Uh, I'm also a ticker fan also. Yes, uh, take it Mark, yes, Aaron's always giving me shit for being a ticker fan, mate, uh, you know, but I've got several of my rifles are shooting well under half minute angle at 100 metres, so I, re- I really can't complain. Uh, one of my Varmint 243s is shooting 0.3, un- almost under 0.3 of an inch at, at 100 metres, which... You know, I can't really complain about, uh, you know, I think the stocks aren't the best on them, but, you know, I like that sort of thing. I like that synthetic stock on a Ticker T3 light stainless or a super light stainless. It's really heavy duty. You can, you know, for my hunting, as most of us know, Muzz, we go to the state forest, really 100 metres is actually quite a long shot. So it, it suits me down to a T. It's got some hard hitting power. Uh, I am reloading for it now, some 165 grain Sierra hollow point boat tails, which are grouping at about 0.6 of an inch at 100 metres mate that's fine by me for a 100 meter gun like it's it's easily sub moa so i can't complain at all yeah absolutely and a lot of the time the the gun selection really should be determined by the environment that you're hunting in uh not by what looks cool and you know if it's a black gun does it have enough you know bling on it is it stainless steel or not i mean those sort of factors you shouldn't worry about what you need to worry about is what is the environment that you're hunting in and um and if the environment that you're hunting in is, is heavily wooded and you don't have much visibility, you only probably can see maybe a maximum 50 to 100 metres, then that's something that should be a major consideration when you think about uh, the gun that you go and hunt with. So, and that's part of the reason why I love hunting with my 30-30 with the uh, red dot scope because that, that thing can shoot anything within 100 metres, no problem. And um, most of the game where, where we go hunting, Jason, as you just said, is only about 100 metres range or less. And, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of... Uh, there are some particular forests where I do need to take my 243 because quite often you will spot stuff at about two to 300 metres with, with a naked eye. And that's if you've got a really good vision with your naked eye because sometimes it's very hard to see animals. At that sort of distance, you usually have to have your binos on and uh, sit on top of a hill and just uh, spend five minutes just um, uh, glancing out over the hill and to see if you can spot anything because quite often animals are just standing still or just lying down and they're so well camouflaged that you, with the naked eye, you will just never see them. You'll just walk straight past them. So that's something that's important to consider. Consider your environment every time you go hunting. What kind of environment is it? Is there a lot of open fields, big plains? Is, there, is it very bushy? Is it hilly? Uh, they're the factors you, you need to really consider when you're taking uh, the firearms uh, with you and which guns you take with you. Uh, you ma- mainly need to focus on that because that way at least you've got the right tool for the job. 
totally agree with you. And I, I never thought I'd really be interested in deer hunting per se. You know, I used to love my waterfowl or bird hunting and fox shooting. And I think I gravitate more, bit more towards the deer hunting now. It's a different, you know, I've got different parts of the year that I do different things. And my winter is always sort of my deer hunting. Uh, then towards the end of the year, it's down to the Riverina as the weather starts heating up, just try and get some rabbits or if I'm duck shooting that particular year or, you know, like I, I really enjoy the deer hunting. I never thought I would. And um, people that want to go out and start deer hunting, you know, go out and try it. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. It's not, you know, high volume shooting unless you've got, you know, some property access where you've got hundreds of deer just running around. But, you know, I was really proud that I had a lot of people that were inviting me saying, Jace, come here and come hunting here and I can get you deer like within about 20 or 15 or 20 minutes. And I just, you know, I do appreciate those offers. Thank you. You know, if you've got any more now, my, uh, I've got, got my first year, so let the uh, a request to go hunting flow in, guys. Send me a thing. I'm happy to go <laughs> hunting the big stags now. So if you've got any property or you, you know, want me to come down and do a bit of hunting with you, please contact me. I'd love to uh, come down and shoot some of those big stags. But yeah, man, I really enjoy it. There's nothing like getting out there. And, you know, I've learned a lot of stuff. Didn't give up. That's the most important thing. And you can't give up if you don't get one straight away, guys. Put the effort in. Do the scouting and uh, we pretty much go to what a couple of forests don't we Mars that we've got now prime areas that we've been scouting we've got really good results from and we know them pretty much those areas like the back of our hand now we know the movements we know where mm. they think they're moving along and we've had pretty good results and this is something I think uh, is very important to mention to new hunters right I mean like if you if you're a new hunter and you hunting in the state forest which I absolutely love I love hunting on uh, uh, crown land it's it's just it's this. It's really different to hunting on private property. I know there's a little, a lot more rules associated with it, but I, I think the the idea that it's just a, so much more accessible to everyone, to the average person. I mean, when you go hunting on private property, there's quite a lot of uh, more cost involved. Usually, you have to pay the landowner money to stay at their at their place, and most trips can can usually, um, you know. Uh, tally up to a thousand dollars to two thousand dollars or more you know if you go hunting on private property uh depending on what gear you carry depending on how much you pay for accommodation depending how far it is and so on whereas you know with the with the state forest you pay what is it less than a hundred dollars a year and you can hunt as many times as you like you just bring your camping equipment find a good campsite uh mark your campsite on the gps so you can come back to it at a later date and uh once you find a really good forest and you know uh, all the, all the I guess, uh, geographical features of the forest, you know, where the animals hang out. I mean, that can be a really good hunting spot for many, many years to come. Yeah, and that was a fantastic policy, public land hunting from the Shooters and Fishers, John Tingle. I think he deserves 100% credit on uh, getting us access. And one person, guys, getting us access to a huge multitude of land across New South Wales to be able to hunt on. That's why it needs to happen in Queensland and other states around the country sooner rather than later. And uh, what a fantastic policy that is. That's got... You know, hundreds of thousands of people taking out, you know, feral animals and getting access to meat that we wouldn't normally have. So great, great policy. Well, that's true, Jason. And to be fair, credit has to be given to uh, to Robert Brown as well, who continued on that policy and made sure made sure that it was, uh, you know, properly implemented. So, look, but but John Tingle definitely is the is the, the author of it, and uh, it's just an example of how one person in government who really had no balance of power or anything like that can be extremely extremely influential so you know it, it shows you that things good things can happen 
All right, we've got another correspondence from Karim. Now, this is a great one, guys. It's fairly long. And Karim, if you're listening to this show, please uh, let me know that uh, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, obviously, things has been a bit busy, but I haven't forgotten you, mate. So he just basically writes, he's a guy from Western Sydney. He's 26 years old. He's been following the page for about two years. And he goes, I'm not at your level of expertise, mate. I'm not a professional by any stretch of the imagination. Just a guy that loves hunting, loves shooting, loves making videos for YouTube. And I guess I love this culture. And he says, we sh- he strongly believes that we are a driving force that shapes our gun culture right now. And he goes, from what I've seen, it's always hush, hush side of things. Many people are scared to admit they're shooters because of media propaganda, politicians, a lot of keyboard warriors. He says, he likes reading my posts. He can honestly say he's learned a- something every time and is a major part of what's inspired him to get out there himself which is man that's awesome man totally crazy that people think of this show in that way um, he just said, you wanted you to know that you've ignited a fire in me a long time ago when you answered one of my questions on a live video. Uh, you probably don't remember, but that was a turning point for me. So, wow. yeah, I mean, I haven't read out everything, guys, because it's quite a long email. So, Karim, I'm going to get back to you, mate. I'll probably even just send you my number, and I'd prefer to probably have a chat over the phone, mate. I think that's much better than me just yeah. writing you back an email. So, mate, just wanted Thank to say thanks for Thank you very much for the email. That was, that was great. Big news coming out at the moment uh, about the election. We just got the email talking about the election, but one that's, uh, well, I guess it surprised us. I'm not sure. I guess I'll get Muzz's opinion. Uh, Shooters MP Robert Brown rolled in push for generational change weeks out from the New South Wales election. Now, the article states, Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party has dumped sitting upper house MP Robert Brown just weeks before the election. In a confidential pre-selection, the 65-year-old, who is also the party's longest-serving parliamentarian, was was rolled for the chairman, Mark Benassiak. The move has caught Upper House colleague by surprise. He says he's disappointed the party has said that it was a generational thing. Mark is 37 and Robert is a lot older. It also, too, goes on to one of the other articles from The Australian, says he's very disappointed that he's the longest-serving parliamentarian. He says he's the most cap player for the party. He has four pieces of legislation. Uh, to my name, John Tingle has three. Former MP Roy Smith has two. And Borzak has one. Obviously, the late uh, Roy Smith. Going on to the next part, of it as well. He says he accepts the rules of the decision um, and doesn't want to cause any issues seven weeks out uh, from the election. They are saying it's a generational change. You know, Robert is 67. Uh, I find that a bit interesting because Robert Borzak is 65, so I don't know how you know, it's going to change things, Being people being older. If he has another eight years term, he'll be you know 74 or 75 by that particular period. I'm not sure age has a lot to do with it, but uh, I guess what's your initial thoughts, Muzz? We've been talking about this for probably about five and a half years that you know he does has done some good things, but also I think it was time for change and him to be removed from the party and, and get back to the roots of the party and start achieving some actual you know, results. Yeah, look, uh, while Robert Brown um, has done a lot of good things in the past, I, I believe he has, hasn't been at the top of his game for many years. And to be honest, for me, that um, a long time ago, that uh, SBS, SBS interview, when they were uh, marking the anniversary of uh, Port Arthur Massacre, when Robert Brown was on that in, uh, SBS Insight interview, I mean, that was the final straw for me. I mean, they should have gotten rid of him after that. The guy just performs horribly in front of the camera. And unfortunately, in this day and age, if you're a politician, you've got to be able to cut through uh, with a message to the people and you've got to be clear. You've got to have the strength of your convictions as well. And he just didn't have it. And he, they should have got rid of him a long time ago, in my opinion. And and that was, for me, the final straw. I, I just couldn't wait to see the back of him after that, I'll be honest with you. Because while I do appreciate that many politicians do great things, I think that many people do have their time in par- Parliament and then once... A particular time is gone. Um, they 
they maybe lose their edge, don't have the same passion for certain things as they used to, and it's uh, probably fitting that uh, he should move on and be replaced by fresh blood. So I've been saying this for quite a while, and... um, to be honest, but, but why, think, why seven weeks out? I mean, obviously, they've done it right before the election because they don't want any issues before the election. They don't want any, you know, ways before the election. But they're saying it's a generational change, uh, you know. But yet, Robert is still there at being age sixty-five. So, you know, I, I know they probably can't replace two sitting MPs at one particular time. But you know, it's kind of calling the kettle black a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Look, the timing is unfortunate. However, there's never going to be a good time to uh, get rid of someone from your party. If you yeah, know exactly. what I mean. It's never a good time. So, yeah. It's never going to be a good time. It's always going to be problematic. There's always going to be controversy surrounding it. And uh, this is one such thing. So, And look, he was ousted by the party to be replaced by someone younger. Whether or not this person is going to be more effective than Robert Brown, I don't know. But uh, a, lot of good pe- a lot of people have said good things about Robert Brown, from, especially from the National Party. We'll but, go through uh, look- that in the minute. The main part I wanted to discuss, guys, is that we've been saying this for the better part yeah. of five years. And I've had several people call me. One high-profile person, I might add, that uh, I'm not going to go into who it was, but basically said, well, did you hear about this? And I said, well, I don't like to see people lose their jobs and lose their livelihood, but I think some change was required. But, you know, I- and I'll go through these in just a few moments. A lot of people put shit on, you know, this show, they put shit on me, they put shit on you, saying, you know, we don't know what we're talking about, you know, the, you, know you guys don't know what you, Robert's a great guy, Robert's this, he's doing this job, he's doing that job. Now, what's most interesting to me, the people that were the vote most vehement supporters of Robert Brown from the actual party, you only had to type in Robert Brown on Facebook to see all the articles posted to all the shooter sites, and what I did is I went through them, which I normally do on these types of things that happen, and I get screenshots about what people are actually saying. Now, the people, and I have the names here, I know them off by heart, the, the more militant supporters of the Shooters and Fishers, saying this is now a great move. The ones that were three to four years ago saying me and you were idiots, didn't know what we're talking about, are now praising this yeah. move. Like it just. Yeah. And then the person that called me said, well, what, what, what are your sort of thoughts about? And I said, well, you know what? I guess I don't really have per se any thoughts, good or bad. I just oh, My point was I've been saying, me and you have been saying this for four or five years, and now finally it's actually happened. I guess I... You know, somewhat, I can feel vindicated. This is like the fishing license as well. A lot of the magazines are coming out. A lot of the big fishing celebrities saying, well, yeah, are are we getting our value for money from this fishing license? Where is this money going? This is not what we we expected. This is not what we told we were going to get. So I guess vindication from not only myself, it's not not an I told you so, but it makes me feel good that, yeah, the things that we have been saying for the last four or five years now are coming to fruition. They're coming true. And and the same people that were hassling us. Let me go into... Just a few months quickly, a few screenshots we got off Facebook. This one's from Brent. He said they got rid of the wrong Robert. The one remaining is our biggest <laughs> hurdle to real change. Okay, the next one's from Steve. He says, thank you for your service, Robert, uh, to the shooters of this state. Hope there's plenty more years in the bush for you yet. John Triggs says, uh, good luck with whatever you decide to do, Robert. You've done great work. Mark will carry on your work, no doubt about it. Uh, This one was from Chris Sainsbury. Now, he's the president of the Sporting Shooters Association of Australia, the New South Wales Illawarra branch. And I think it was Andrew Clonell who wrote the article in the Australian says, Mark Banasiak, who's taking over from Robert Brown, uh, is still the president of the Sporting Shooters Association of 
of Australia for the Illawarra branch, but no, it's actually Chris Sainsbury, so just letting people know that. Okay, another good one from Lance Muzz says, uh, they say he's too old. Well, what about discrimination? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not ageism, sure, mate. Ageism. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, another one from a guy named Lassiter says, oh, great, thanks. Been the SFF party for too long and only reserved paintball. Talk about process. It's not the person, it's the party. This Robert had a human feel. Not even sure what that actually means, but hey. <laughs> Next one from William. You've done a great job, Robert, over the years delivering for shooters. Uh, well done. Next one was from George. Now, this is what Muzz was saying. I feel sorry for Bob, but he lost a lot of support when he went full fud on us last year on Q&A last April. Well, it wasn't Q&A. It was actually the SBS Insight program, but uh, I get your drift, which is what Muzz was actually talking about. It Literally, guys, if I had to pick one thing, that was probably the, the biggest media blunder in history. I'd probably say that'd have to be the one which is you know sad when we have pro-gun parties agreeing with the, the the current state of the laws in this country pretty much that lost me the same as Mars from that period that made me quite not I say angry just very upset for the party that done great work in the past you know forging their way forward for shooters in this country starting to agree and starting to move away from firearms and start representing more on the farmers aspect which is good to re- represent farmers but let's not rep- let's not forget the core policy and the core values of the party which was what it was founded on Shoot that's what it was founded on. Yeah, I agree, Jason. But look, um, to me, the way I see this, look, we've been ahead of the curve on a lot of these things uh, on fishing, on the direction of the party, and especially with Robert Brown. I, I thought he was just he was getting stale for a very long time. It was time to, for him to go and uh, inject some new blood into the party. And uh, look, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Robert Brown. He's probably a very nice person. I've met him a couple of times. I haven't really gotten to know him that well, but He's probably a very nice guy, and, and uh, it's probably great to have a few beers with. But at the end of the day, look, uh, we're here for some serious business. We're here to make changes, positive changes for our way of life, our sport, our recreation, our rights. And, uh, look, we need people that are going to be effective, and that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, we need to put people in there that are going to be effective, that are going to form relationships with uh, the Premier, also any cabinet ministers that are going to be uh, influential in terms of uh, changing the direction of government and that are going to be speaking very positively and confidently in the, in the media uh, regarding our rights, our recreation and uh, our way of life. And to be honest, uh, Robert Brown was just failing in a lot of those departments and he should have should have been gone a long time ago. But I think that the Shooters and Fishers Party probably realised it a little bit too late. We haven't even gotten gotten to know this uh, new person. A lot of people do know him, the average punter out there who's, uh, you know, who, who's not around, uh, I guess, the SFP, um, you know, rumour mill, doesn't know him very well. So, mm. you know, is that going to affect their vote? Is that going to change their vote? I don't know. Uh, because there are, there's a lot of... Uh, new players in the game now. You've got uh, Mark Latham now entering New South Wales, entering the race for New South Wales Parliament. You've got uh, uh, David Linehill. Uh You've got quite a lot of players out there that will grab a lot of the conservative slash centre-right or right-wing votes. So how is that going to work in the long run? Will that mean that the SFP will retain the two seats or will they lose the seat? Or will they gain maybe an extra seat? I don't know. It's um, a lot of uh, interesting questions to be answered, uh, Jason, coming this this coming New South Wales state election. It's interesting. I, I, again, looking on the internet, looking on Facebook. Now, I wanted to go on to this one before we finish off, just this one, because I think this one's important. Um, you know, we've, we've interviewed Peter Johnson. He was a former... Uh, he was running for the Shooters and Fishers, I think, behind Robert Borzak on the ticket in 2015. 
Um, and it's interesting because he writes on here, he says, this is obviously, he's linked the Australian article saying long-serving MP rolled, and he says, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Too late to save the commercial sector that you betrayed. Nowhere to be seen on the Hawkesbury bio shelf, Marine Parks issue. Now let's get some real fishing representation. So obviously that's a major jab at Robert Brown. Yep. Then it goes yep. on to say from down the bottom here from Marcus O'Dean, which is I screenshot it, I've got it right here. It says, keep it private, boys. Disunity and bile on a public forum will not have good results. Then obviously someone on Peter Johnson's page says, Paul Sullivan says, good riddance to the grub. Uh, Barry Ryan says, poor Robert. Now he can not, sit on his amazing... Yeah, fat, fat super for the rest of his life, dot, 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 poor thing. Um, you know, so it seems to be from, I mean, don't forget, Peter Johnson was on the ticket in 2015 and obviously was a major supporter of the party. Now, as soon as the guy's gone, having a major dig, you know, at the guy that obviously they never had an issue with each other in 2015 when he was, you know, trying to be elected to the party back then, but now all of a sudden it's a problem. And this comes back to my thing about me being saying this for the last five years. And, you know, now all of a sudden the people that, we're not saying Peter Johnson in particular, but you know people that were shitting on us are now the ones vehemently going after the guy like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> like know. it's just sad for the poor guy. I actually feel sorry for the guy. I really do, to be honest. Like I don't think he deserves. I just think for us, me and Muzz, it's about policy and about performance and about getting results. I don't care about his personal situation. I don't care about what he does in his personal life. All I care about is the results for shooters and fish in this country, which is what he was elected to do. I think he failed quite considerably on most of those issues. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look at the end of the day. What every person out there has to consider is they're a voter, right? Their vote matters, okay? So don't worry about your personalities. Don't worry about whether or not the blokes, uh, you know, when the guy's a good bloke or whether or not you can have a beer with him. Worry about what results can be achieved. That's that's the main, that's the end goal for us, and that always has been for us. And a lot of people have, um, have uh, you know, uh, have cut us off and written us off because we were a little bit unkind, I guess, to some of the, uh, people from SFP in the past, but you know, we see we, we just say it as it is. And I got I got another one here too from Matthew. He says, mm. "So I wonder if Borzak will step down since he's almost equally as old. I doubt he will hold himself to the same standard, though. Much preferred <laughs> Brown over Borzak. So there's a lot of in, internal fighting about who who supports who. How about we just get on and start achieving some results? I think that'd be the best goal for all shooters going forward in the future, coming up yeah. to the election. Yeah, I, I think so too. And uh, look, uh, I'm just surprised they've actually started to put this on a, on a public forum and, you know, they're, they're OK to be elected in 2015 or attempt to be elected. But now, as soon as the guy goes, you know, they're hassling the poor guy about his Hawaiian shirts, you know, while the, while the Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> you know, weren't really a great thing. Robert Brown, re, you know, wearing those little Hawaiian shirts. I thought it was silly and stupid, but, you know, still, you know, hassling the poor guy after he's gone, you know, is, is I don't know, not a good look in my opinion. Oh, look, Jason, I mean, if he can achieve results, I mean, he can wear whatever he wants. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I really don't care if he's wearing a Big Bird costume, if he's achieving results. Yeah, if he got rid of the um, NFA, I'd be his best friend. I'd say, mate, wear all the Hawaiian shirts you like. <laughs> you know, and then Wayne, know. And another one, Wayne says, sadly passed his use-by date, has done nothing to further our cause the last couple of years. Great call by the party, I say. Yes, I mean, these are a lot of comments from Facebook, a lot of mixed, mixed uh, you know, feelings. Mixed comments, but uh, generally, I would say, Jason, that more than 60% of the comments were in favour of getting rid of him. Would you say that? 
Oh, oh, absolutely. There was a few like saying yeah. congratulations or more congratulatory good luck in retirement. But there's one guy here, so I won't mention his last name, but I know he's been a big supporter. I've seen his name floating around the traps quite a fair bit. His name's Wade, and he said Phil Donato should be number one. Well, upper house and lower house is completely different, so you've got to understand the yeah. levels of politics. But he said Brown was long overdue from retiring. Way too many FUD moments. Um, I'm surprised because <laughs> I see this guy around the traps quite a fair bit, and uh, he's very, very much very pro and very outspoken shooters, fishers, and farmers party. So it's very interesting yeah. that. That again, like I said, the things we've been saying, and you know, it's I guess vindication would be would be the, the ultimate word to use in this situation. It's sad that I've got to say I told you so, but it's just it shocks me that the same people, you know, saying this stuff are now that were hassling us are now saying the exact same thing we were saying. It's just, it's crazy because where were you guys five years ago? Nowhere to be seen, you know, defending the guy through and through, and then now he's gone, you know, stabbing the poor bastard in the back. Well, listen, Jason, what we've got to do is look to the future now and uh, look at what's in store for us in the next next, uh, New South Wales uh, state election, which is not too far away. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Let's discuss that. I think that's important. What are you, what are you thinking? Uh, we're going to get a balance of power. As you said, One Nation, LDP now running. This could be a very tight race. I think the Liberals are definitely going to lose some seats, but where are the seats going to come from in the upper house? Uh, will SFP retain their seats? I think they'll possibly retain their two seats, uh, or the one seat that's up for re-election, I should say. Uh, and are possibly, you know, hoping, you know, will, is One Nation going to be good for us? Mark Latham seems to be going a little bit stupid with people that he's uh, putting forward to, to represent uh, in Parliament in New South Wales. You know, I don't know. I guess they're going to be sympathetic towards gun laws obviously david lionhelm you've heard the interview i think david would be a great candidate and what i'm saying is in mate vote for them use your uh, preferences to to mark them down just put the pro-gun parties down guys doesn't matter if it's if it's sfp vote sfp if it's uh, ldp vote ldp and then put the preferences with the other parties after that make your vote count yeah absolutely look uh, to me personally i would love to see david lionhelm in um, in the new south wales parliament that would that, that, in combination with the other SFP guys, will be an absolutely fantastic result uh, for shooters. But somehow, I think that Mark Latham has got a strong enough following out there that he will get in. Uh, I, I do believe that he will get in. He's got not enough people behind him, and not to mention he's got the um, One Nation brand. He's the leader of the One Nation party in New South Wales, so he's got the One Nation brand behind him, which is like literally worth already about 10% of the vote. So... I really can't see a situation where Mark won't get in. I'll be very surprised if he doesn't get in. And to be honest, I'll, 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 if he does get in, I'll be actually very happy because uh, Mark champions a lot of the causes that I'm also passionate about. I mean, life's, uh, you know, I hate to tell you, break it to you, Jason, but life's not all about guns and hunting, even though I wish we, we wish it was. <laughs> but exactly. it's not. I'm just concerned. I don't think you'll be an enemy of shooters, but he definitely, like, listen, he'll be a distant third, I think, on my, um, or distant second. I don't know. I'm, I'm tossing it up yet. I don't know. I don't want to let people know the way I vote because I think that's individually, that's up to them yeah. to make their own decisions about who they want to preference and who they want to vote for. I mean, I know who I'm voting for. I know how I'm going to preference already. So that's, that, that's but, fine. But it is me. interesting, Jason, because let's, just, let's face it, most of our voter base, most of our listener base really is more or less... Um, uh, right-wing or centre-right conservative base. So, um, you know, there's a lot of issues there that encompass that 
centre-right conservative base. And Mark Latham does cover a lot of those issues. So does David Leinhelm. So did the Shooters and Fishers Party. So, you know, there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of interesting results coming uh, this New South Wales state election. I believe that Gladys probably will retain uh, the premiership only just by the skin of her teeth. And the upper house um, uh, will be, well, it's going to be a real mixed bag, I reckon. And in the end, I believe that it could be a combination of uh, One Nation and SFP and or LDP or both uh, that will have balance of power. I just hope this time it doesn't get squandered. And you were talking about the, the, the coalition or the Liberal National Party. Now, getting back to the Robert Brown issue, this is, not, this is, this is, this is how traitorous the, the National Party is on, on policy. Now, this was from Wes Fang. Now, I'm not sure where Wes Fang is. He's obviously a member of the National Party politician. Yeah, he, says, he says, this is an absolute disgraceful decision by SFF Australia. It's obviously a premeditated takedown of a much-valued member of the New South Wales Upper House. After all these years of service, you didn't even give him the chance to give a valedictory speech in the House. No honour, no shame. Then he, then he obviously he tweeted, which is the bottom part, which says from the Nationals, we are disappointed to hear that Shooters and Party MLC Robert Brown has been dumped by the party. Despite our political differences, we always found Robert to be a man of honesty and integrity who, has a re- who was reasonable to deal with. And then they quote the Australian article. I mean, it's funny, funny that, isn't it, from the Nationals, the hypocrisy, who have you know, two years ago, when the Adler was being reclassified, voted down all 50 amendments of the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party, yet now claiming somehow it's a disgraceful decision. I mean, as if these guys can talk, it makes you sick. I know, I know. It's um... like, like all just political posturing, you know, virtue signaling, as if Wes Fang gives a shit about anything, let's be honest. I know. Politics is a very dirty game, Jason. And as you can see, the way they knifed uh, Robert Brown and ousted him from, you know, from, uh, from the party is mate it's just it's just a very dirty game unfortunately that's just the nature of it and uh po- politicians who swing one way uh one day will quickly change their minds the next week if the circumstances allow it to, allow it to be so that's just the nature of the game we just have to deal with it preferences are done with parties that you wouldn't normally spit on i guess uh for the sake of uh, political uh political uh i guess uh you know survival this is this is how it works, and uh, we we shouldn't be surprised uh, uh, at this by now because we've seen it for many many years. And, like, and we're not complaining by any stretch, saying, "Well, we wanted him gone." Now we're complaining that he's now being given the boot. I mean, that's obviously politics, you know. But I'm guessing he doesn't probably feel too good about being booted, which is probably understandable. No, that's right. But listen, Jason, there's one important factor people need to consider. In the last four years, this the population of this state has increased dramatically. Right, so we've got a lot more immigration. Okay, we've had a lot more people come into this state. I mean, there's literally, especially in the area of Sydney, there's nowhere where you can go where you don't see cranes in the sky that are building brand new apartments and units and housing. I mean, there's a lot more voters now in New South Wales. So, how will that affect the outcome? I don't know. Who are these voters? Uh, where do they come from? Are they Labor voters? Are they Lib voters? Do they vote independent? Are they voters who are um, for example, maybe uh, like the message that Mark Latham sends, you know, and you can't ignore that because Mark Latham is on 2GB radio, which is the most listened station in the, in, in, in the state. In, in the uh, country. It's the biggest in the country. It's in the country, yeah. And he's on 2GB radio all the time. He gets a lot of airtime. He gets a lot of, uh, you know, publicity. And this will be a crucial factor in the state election. So, And the other thing that's important to remember too, Jason, it all comes down to obviously – where you, what part of the state you're at because 
in certain parts of the state you'll have uh, you'll have lower house representatives that you like. In other other parts, there won't be anyone that you like at all in a lower house. So the SFP, I think, are running 24 members, 24 uh, candidates in the lower house. I think, Jason, from yep. memory. Yep. So th- they're going to have a big representation out there in certain seats, and it's important for you guys to to know which seats they are, so that if it's in your seat, then uh, then that 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 will shape how you vote, I guess, in a way. Right. So, uh, if for example, in in my area, I don't think they will have a uh, lower house uh, candidate. So, uh, I'll, I'll have to have a look at what other options there are and who those people are going to give their preferences to. That's another thing. So, voting is not really, you know, it's not that simple. Uh, you really have to take into consideration what area you're in, and and where you can where you can cast your vote to get the most. I guess for lack of a better term, best bang for your buck uh, for your vote and put the right people in that are going to support uh, our rights, our, our, our freedoms and, you know, our recreation and our way of life. And it's interesting, in the upper house should be easy, guys. That's who you're going to vote in. It's only pretty much realistically out of One Nation, LDP and Shooters and Fishers. That's the only one. Your local area is obviously going to be different depending on who you've got running yeah. in your local area. I think last time I might have had an LDP guy. There was no SFP. Uh, there was no CADA. There was no anything like that. So in some areas, guys, you're really going to only have a decision about, you know, basically Labor, Liberal, Greens and maybe a fringe you know, independent. So you're not going to have – so it's up to you whether you decide That's to it. vote yeah, or just exactly. walk out. Um, yeah, I mean, if you have a One Nation, that probably, they're probably going to have a few One Nation floating around as well. So it's all going to depend on, on your local area. Well, if you have the choice of Labor, Greens or Independent in your area, then then sometimes, I mean, if you don't know what the Independent stands for, I mean, it could be worse than voting for the Libs. <laughs> you know or I mean? just scratch it so, out and walk out. You know, it's the only option. Yeah, you know, that, that's right. But um, look, I, I, don't, I couldn't I don't vote look. for any of the Muzz. If I had my way, it's me just scratching the form and walking out. I can't. You know, I can't. I couldn't, yeah, look, I couldn't I'll, vote I'll for. I'll be them. honest with you. I'll be honest with you, Jason. In a society where voting is compulsory, uh, like our society, uh, I, I don't advocate for that. I don't believe you should scratch your form and just walk out. If voting was not compulsory, fair enough. But in a society where everyone's going to have their say, you need to have your say as well to make your vote. Yeah, but count. half, half. Honestly, half the dummies don't even know what any of the parties stand for. They just they get forced to go and vote. But anyway, all right, Mars. We remember we had in the last show uh, a media clip from Nigel Farage talking about you know police acceptance and you know community expectation of the police. And there was a senior official over there in England. Somebody was getting attacked. He ended up locking himself in a car uh, when someone was being attacked with a knife. Did absolutely nothing. Yeah, and Nigel Farage makes many, many good points on, you know, are police really out to help the general community? And uh, he wants to be pro-police as we do here. But, you know, unfortunately, it seems to be at this stage, police acceptance of the police force, not only in Britain, I guess, but over in Australia as well, seems to be at an all-time low. And we keep making policies in this country that keep eroding that respect for the police force. So what do you think about, Nigel, that those... The guy sitting in his car and you know not doing anything to help and uh yeah which is what their job is to do well it's an absolute disgrace isn't it i mean such a you know blatant you know show of cowardice from uh, the police commissioner it's unbelievable and it doesn't surprise me though and unfortunately this is the society we live in under the british system the um the state i should say or the police doesn't really see much of a difference between you and the bad guy. Uh, it will prosecute you the moment you do something wrong, even 
even if you had good intentions uh, and even if you were, for example, in the act of self-defence. So now, fortunately, in Australia, it, it is slightly different. There, there, is, there are legal precedences that have been uh, set before that show that good citizens, while defending themselves, will not face prosecution as long as they've used reasonable force. Whereas in Great Britain, it hasn't always been like that. I mean, people have been prosecuted uh, for acting uh, the best way they know how to defend themselves, even though they've probably used the right amount of force, they still get prosecuted. So there's very little appetite in, in Britain for the general public to protect the police or to, to step in when someone is uh, being assaulted or hurt or even killed, uh, to step in because, one, well, through fear of their own lives, for example, they don't want to be another innocent bystander. And, of course, on top of that, if they do happen to do something wrong, they themselves could get prosecuted. So it's certainly not a very good way um, for a society to encourage people to be good Samaritans, to be uh, to help out, to protect others. Uh, it just it, it's, a, it's a recipe just that, that encourages cowardice and inaction. So when does the victim become yeah. the offender? Do you understand what I mean? So like I'm a victim. I'm just going about my business. I'm in my home doing my own business and someone gets into my home or in this situation out in public, guy hides in his car and people sometimes do have to have to do what they have to do at, you know, in times of need, you know. We can't pretend to well, know what is, people are well, feeling. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong with the British system. It all comes down to the judge you get and the type of defense you have. See? So if you get a judge that's very left-leaning and doesn't like people defending themselves or, or frowns upon it, for example, then uh, you're not likely to get a good outcome. You're likely to probably end up with a charge and, and a prison term. So this is what it comes down to. This is what I don't like about it because it doesn't really, like I said before, encourage a society where people are willing to step in uh, to help other people out, to defend other people and themselves, and to defend police. I mean, as well, you know, I mean, like police could be under attack a lot of times and we like to think that there's people out there that would step in and help them out. But in, in, in that type of society, particularly in Great Britain, not so much in Australia, but particularly in Great Britain, um, it's certainly not a society where the, the average person is willing to, you know, risk his life and, uh, and help out a police officer because he himself might get charged. That's a good point, actually. Would you? And it's, it's, it's sad that we've come to this realisation or this part of 2019 that, and I hear this from people all the time, people message me saying, well, what would you do in that situation? Would you, you know, put yourself in harm's way where we could, in fact, be, either be charged ourselves, lose our gun licence? It's like, it'd be like exactly with someone like myself that has a profile doing these podcasts, and all of a sudden I'm on the internet, you know, being charged for crimes for helping somebody out. Well, I'm sorry, I'm just being honest now. I'd probably turn my back and walk away. I'm not, as much as I wouldn't want to do that... We're seeing the police do it in Britain to the general public. I'm sorry. I, I just have to walk away. I couldn't risk the fact that I could be charged with a crime trying to help out someone. Sorry. I'm, I, you're oh, no, on, you're on your own. I'm sorry about that. I just There's nothing more that I can do. It's a sad situation of affairs, but one which the government, unfortunately, and the police have created themselves. Look, thankfully in Australia, it's not like that. Well, not yet anyway, right? So, so look, we've got a recent I'm, – I'm sure you've probably heard about it, Jason – the recent case where – a man in southwest Sydney um, killed another guy who was, I guess, uh, in the process of doing a home invasion on his place. And the guy that he killed was actually like a bodybuilder, a fitness guy. He was um, 
like a, a world strongman participant and something like he was a very very built guy and and this homeowner obviously was scared for his life for his life of his kids his, his wife was he was in house at the time and he was trying to um i guess immobilize him and in the process unfortunately end up uh, choking him and uh and making him unconscious and then consequently he called i think uh triple o the ambulance after that and the police to, to come quickly he was worried about the man's life and um I think you've done all the right things as you would, trying to protect your home, your family. You don't know what this, who this person is in your home. You don't know what their intention is. You don't know whether or not they're high on drugs, whether or not they're willing to kill you or not, whether or not they want to rob you and kill you as well. Who knows, right? So these are, these are things that you just can't. I mean, you can't just sit down and have an interview with the criminal, you know what I mean, and run through 20 questions. But especially when you're in, you know, faced with a life and death struggle, as this bloke obviously was, now, so far, police haven't put any charges on him, and I certainly hope they don't, because I think he was acting well with uh, well within his rights and within and using, I would say, reasonable force. He wasn't using any weapons or anything like that. He was just using his bare hands. And as we know, Jason, if you can't use your bare hands, I mean, what can you use? The government already According to this government, hold... nothing. I can't use anything. That's right. So the government allows you to de- defend yourself, but they don't allow you to use anything to defend yourself with, like pepper spray, or uh, you know, even even if the even if an intruder comes into your home, and he has nothing in his hands, he's got no weapons or anything like that, right? And you happen to get a baseball bat, which is to me, in, in my opinion, you should be allowed to to do in perfectly within reasonable uh, rights of defending your home. But even if you hurt that person with a baseball bat, that can um, that can incur a charge on you. Um, because the person didn't have any other weapons. So it comes down to reasonable force. So it's a very, very grey area of the law that people should always be aware of. It's, it comes down to whose interpretation um, are you going to get when, when, you, when you're faced in front of the magistrate and also maybe even possibly a jury. You don't, you don't know. But look, and I certainly hope uh, this guy gets off, you know, because if he doesn't get off, if he gets charged, and that is not going to be good, and that's not going to be a good sign for the future uh, laws, self-defence laws in New South Wales, and uh, potentially in the whole country, because that could change uh, the entire landscape. Um, then, I mean, because you know, the guy's got no weapon on him, the criminal's got no weapon on him, the guy ends up uh, killing the criminal in self-defence, and he gets charged for it. That's that is not going to be a very, very good outcome for the future of self-defence in this country. So we certainly hope it doesn't come to that. And I think that I don't think there's many prosecutors and many judges that are going to do that. But you never know. We could we could be unlucky. We could get some left-leaning lunatic judge that will that will think otherwise. So let's just cross our fingers on this one, Jason. We yet yet to be seen what's going to happen. But let's just cross our fingers that it's a great result self-defense we've got two more just quickly the, the now it's behind a paywall so typical of the border mail.com.au women will not get tasers for self-defense against violent men now it's got a picture of the newly elected tim quilty might try and uh contact uh, i got i did get contact with someone from the ldp wanting to do an interview with tim 
and or Dave Limbrick. So I'll probably bring you one of those podcasts coming soon down the track in a couple of months. But I can just read the top part of it, but it says tasers and pepper spray should be legal uh, for women to carry to protect themselves from violence and even murder, a group of Victorian MPs say. Now, that's the part of all I can see. But obviously, when it says the headline says women will not get tasers, you will you know, still be a victim, guys. So, you know, good luck to the women of Victoria. You know, the government down there does not want you to have any form of self-defense. So good luck yeah, trying but why, to get out of it. Why is this always, you know, I mean, the women in Victoria have been, have been getting raped, they've been getting killed. I mean, you see it on the news all the time. And but why is it only a women issue? Why do they say women? I mean, everyone should have a right to defend themselves. No, I agree, 100%, yeah, 100%. You know, but they always focus on the gender. It's just so ridiculous, so stupid. I mean, uh, what more do you need to say? You've got pepper sprays legal in WA. I mean, this guy hasn't fallen in WA. There's not a massive like, crime wave in WA, is there? So I don't see the problem. Why can't you, for example, go to a gun shop, for example, and pass over your license and for identification? They can run a background check on you. Um, so hypothetically, let's say, Jason, if this system was installed, they could run a background check on you, and if you're clean, no worries. You can buy a can of pepper spray for self-defense. What is wrong with that? I mean, that just happens everywhere around the world, and even in WA, but for some reason, it just doesn't get, does not, uh, I guess, uh, sink into the heads of our local politicians here in New South Wales, and it's, uh, and the police are always against it because police always want to maintain a higher level of, um, I guess, offensive equipment than the general public. So that they're always going to be against it because they see the general public as just someone to manage. They don't see, they don't notice the difference between good guy, bad guy. It's just everyone's the same, and we just got to manage everyone exactly the same. Take all the weapons, everything away from everyone. That's just their, that's just how they, that's how, how they work. That's the, their mentality. It's all about, I guess, harm minimization term. I think they use. Anyway, good article I got coming up, Muzz. Too. This is a great one, actually. You'll be surprised about this one. Uh, news.com.au. Uh, this is February 21, 2019. Aussie man not guilty over shooting an intruder for self defense. An Australian man known as the Crocodile Dundee figure has been found not guilty by shooting an axe wielding intruder on the grounds of self defense. Famous outback whipmaker Mick Dennigan has walked free from a court after a jury decided he was justified in shooting a man who confronted him with an axe on his property. Uh, the 54 year old man was found not guilty by an NT Supreme Court jury of unlawfully causing serious bodily harm by shooting Thomas McIntyre, 44, in the leg at his remote property near Darwin River shortly after midnight on February 23rd last year. So obviously this guy's well known, supplies whips to people. Uh, you see there was an, obviously an issue and yeah, he's obviously had to well, defend Jason, himself. Well, Jason, that is a great result for self-defense. That is a fantastic result. Yeah, and, and, uh, and yeah, I'm really. There's a media really article here, guys. He's being, it looks like he's being interviewed outside the mm. the courthouse, and someone's got a microphone. But, so what I might do I is mean, play the next show. But I mean, it's not a result that most people would be naturally surprised with. Really, I can tell you right now, in England, there's no way to get off. You use a gun to kill someone in self-defense in England, you're going to jail. That's how it works. You know, in Australia, thank God it's not like that, and thank God people still have some rights to defend themselves. And it's something that we need to be really vigilant with, guys. And um, and and this is another reason, not just guns, um, and it's not just fishing. It's 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 your rights in your own home. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, your rights in your own home. 
Uh, that's at what that's what's at stake here, and a lot of the lefties would love to take that away from you. They want you to be completely. But let me go on one thing here too. It says Dennigan was making whips at home when a car arrived and told police he feared for his life when he shot Mr. McIntyre in the leg after seeing him walk up to his property unannounced with an axe with two other men. How can you? Why is there even charges? Why is they even trying to take this person to court? This is what this guy's probably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what's the DPP doing? Well, if he's won, ridiculous. If he's won, if he's won the case, I don't think. It'll cost him anything. Hopefully, well, um, mate, in in serious cases, state, the, state, they, the state will have to pay the charge. Well, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. In serious cases, especially revolving around firearms, they don't have to pay the case. That's the whole problem. I, I did a show previously with uh, remember Don Brook the, the, at Western Sydney. He was a quite a. He subsequently killed somebody um, at his property. Obviously, at the time he wasn't working, so he's I guess expenses were covered by the state. But in saying that too, if he was working and he would have had to spend hundreds of thousand dollars to defending himself. Luckily, eventually, mm. after three and a half years or four years, the DPP decided to drop the case because the DPP's not out for the general public too because that, that they've got to stay in a job. They have to try cases. If they don't try cases, they don't have a job. I mean, look, the thing is, right, and this is the, the difficult part because most courts and magistrates, thankfully in Australia they do, but mo- most of them, I don't think they really take into consideration that no one really actually wants to ever kill anyone. No one wants to be in that position. It's the worst thing uh, you could possibly have to do. It's, it's the worst thing. It's the worst thing you could be forced to do. I mean, it's usually the perpetrator, the criminal, that forces you into that position, right? So when someone comes to your door with an axe, for example, or is running at you with an axe, you're not going to wait and see if they're just trying to scare you. You're going to assume that they're going to use that axe on you, right? So it makes perfect sense for you to be able to defend yourself with equal force or if in my opinion, even more, even even you know, much more powerful force than than that person, because you have the right to defend yourself on your own land, and um, and any judge that finds you guilty of something is a grub, to be honest, in my opinion, because it's just denying you natural justice. Uh, it scares me that a guy's even got to go and spend money in courts to for a jury to say not guilty. You know, it's just absurd. Like, it should have been that they, they do it's... the necessary checks, which, yeah, the police would have to do the necessary checks once they find out, yep, this is what the situation is. Mate, no charges should have even been con- remotely even considered. All right, another one, fruitful, interesting one coming up, Muzz, at the moment is the zombie knives. Now, the government, uh, the New South Wales Police Force, obviously in conjunction with the government, we don't know who exactly, decided to ban green zombie knives, did call the minister office to have a chat about where the policy came from. I was told to put it in writing because people at their office uh, don't know what's going on in Parliament. Uh, so I sent them an email saying, hey, listen, what's going on with this? Who was the person that put this forward? Where did it come from? Was it directly from the minister, the police minister, Troy Grant? Uh, at this stage, that was only about three or four days ago. So I haven't had a response. Now, it's all over the New South Wales police website saying uh, a zombie knife or other device has a mouldy edge blade, including a serrated edge. A is advertised or otherwise made available for the sale using images or words that suggest the knife or device is intended to be used for violence, whether actual or threatened, against a person or a fictional character. Or B, uh, on the blade or handle, images, words or markings that suggest the knife or device is intended to be used for violence, whether actual or threatened against a person or fictional creature such as a zombie or has been used to inflict violence it's just absolutely ridiculous don't forget guys if you you it's unconditional surrender so if you do have a bunch of knives that you've paid a couple of hundred dollars for and you've got three or four of them unfortunately you won't be getting them back and you need to hand them in by uh, the first of march so if you don't you will be a criminal and you can be charged by police oh, unbelievable muzz
Oh no, it's it's mate. Troy Grant has been just one big massive disappointment after another. I mean, he's one of easily takes the cake in the top three worst police ministers that's been out that has been in New South Wales because yeah. he's just just one big nanny state of this bloke, and every single time, if it's not gel blasters, zombie knives, I mean, seriously, it's just unbelievable. And they claim that oh yeah, they've had these. Uh, items being used in several crimes. I mean, seriously. Yeah, and he says in one of the articles too, he says that, oh, they've had issues in other jurisdictions. Well, why change this jurisdiction if you haven't had issues in this jurisdiction? Why preempt any issues that may occur when they're not occurring in this jurisdiction? Yeah, it's, it's a typical knee-jerk reaction to a problem that really, really doesn't need to be addressed. Now, okay, so you're going to ban zombie knives. Okay, no worries. Well, people are just going to buy a different knife. Exactly. Oh, and one guy even said, if you go to item number 46257 at Bunnings, just letting you know, it's black spray paint. Spray it with black spray paint, therefore it's not going to be a problem. Like, who comes up with this legislation? And I don't think they're going to respond to me. I'm going to keep pushing it a little bit because I want to know who's coming up with this poor, ill-informed, ridiculous policy. Like, in 2019, I can't even believe, Muzz, that I'm actually reading yeah. this shit. Honestly, it is just unbelievable. And you won't be compensated, guys, if you do hand in your zombie knives to the police. You could be charged yeah, if you it's don't. Just, it's just incredible, just like the jaw blasters. I mean, these jaw blasters, they're not as realistic as uh, airsoft rifles. They shoot harmless little gel balls that would not harm a little field mouse, if, even if you shot it point blank. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it's just ridiculous. And they're banning them and, and you know, it's just another... And this comes back to poli- uh, sorry, police community, I should say, expectation and why, you know, uh, police acceptance in the community is at an all-time low when they've got these ridiculous policies. Guys coming from Queensland, buying their kids' gel blasters for Christmas you know, being picked up by the police and charged with seven, eight, ten counts of possess unlawful pistol, unregistered firearm. I mean, things that you could be looking 20 years in prison for if you get the full sentence. Like, it's, it's just absurd. And then, and then they want throw their hands thankfully, up. No one, thankfully, no one really gets ever gets that sentence. I mean, even drug dealers, known drug dealers who are, are pulled over with uh, illegal weapons, you know, in their possession, they barely get six years let alone 14 or 20 or anything like that. So The worst part I mean, is when the police throw their hands up and they say, oh, well, we don't understand why there seems to be a bit of a bit of angst towards the police in the community. Like, really? You're really unsure about that? I'm surprised you don't understand what, what is actually happening. And, you know, we, in essence, pay your wages, both government and the police, and you're coming up with these stupid, ridiculous policies that, that you actually are putting into legislation. It's very scary indeed, you know? Yeah, well, like I said before, Jason, as long as we have this, um, I guess, ethos uh, of harm minimisation that runs through all the police forces in the country, pretty much, um, you're never going to get good outcomes because police just treat everyone the same. Uh, You know, they treat the criminal the same as the good guy. And uh, if you're the good guy, if you happen to do something wrong, they're going to throw the book at you just like they will the criminal, unfortunately. And that's and, I mean, individual police officers may have their heart in the right place. They may uh, want to do the right thing. They are probably really good guys. Um, but they are also accountable to the system, and it's the system. It's the system that's wrong. And the mm. people that are above them who are more poli- more politicians, really, than police officers, especially the commissioner and uh, others around him. The police union's got a lot to answer for. They're the ones that drive a lot yeah. of policy in this country. Yeah, well... 
you know, we'd like to think that we want to support our police and everything like that. But to be honest, like, I mean, after you hear about the things that happens with Nigel Farage, for example, um, it's it's very hard. It's very difficult. You've got to be careful uh, when you're stuck in that sort of situation. As we know, we've seen that person during the Melbourne terrorist attack, uh, that person with the trolley trying to help out police, and he was scolded by the Minister of Police. He said that uh, he should have never done that. And he should, you know, people should avoid doing that. I mean, obviously his heart was in the right place, but it could have turned out bad. But thankfully for him, it didn't. But this is what I mean. The police discourage, discourage people from getting involved. So what, anyway. what we should do too, if, if people are listening to this show, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you again. Writing into the show is very important. What would you do in a situation? Actually, that's, a, that's a great question, Jason. Mm. What would you do if a police officer was in trouble would you help him out or would you stand aside? Mm, very good question. I mean, question. That's, a, that's a really good question. Would you Would you help? And and this is, I mean... At the risk of either getting injured yourself, yeah. uh, potentially losing your firearms license or being charged yourself, let us know what your concerns are. Would you unequivocally step in just because that's the type of person you are? Would you think twice now based on the, you know, being in 2019 and the issues that we're surrounding? Write in, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Or send us a voicemail on the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. On that right-hand side, you can see where it says leave voicemail. You can use your phone. You can use your tablet. You can use your computer. Send us a voicemail. I think it's about 90 seconds, guys. So if you need extra, just record twice. But if you can get it done under three minutes, that'd be great. And we'll play all the audio on the show or, or your emails because we want to hear what you guys think. And I'm leaning towards the no for me. I'm leaning towards the no. Sorry, I just it's can't, such a stark I can't risk such it. A, yeah, such a stark difference, isn't it, Jason? Like, for example, in America, I mean, the police encourage everyone to defend themselves. They encourage yeah. everyone. To carry protection. And you know what? If that, I was that, in the know. States, I'd probably have no problem helping the police because I know they'd be the first one supporting my right to self-defense and, and me not becoming, you know, the exactly. turning from a victim into someone who's going to be in court having to defend myself for trying to help somebody. And, and it's such a such a massive society dif- difference in, in, in their culture and society. The, the average citizen in America, from, from my experiences of being tra- traveling there, Quite often is uh, you know the average citizen supports their local police and their police department. They, you know, they would step in to help that help out the police whenever because they know the police have got their backs as well. So it's a it's a big it's a big culture. It's a shame difference. we've really gone down this road this road of, of ridiculous policy and you know, police and, and constantly you hear the radio stations trying to defend all this stuff and because they don't want you know I guess um, societal or community breakdown and people losing lack of respect for police but it is happening you only have to be on Facebook and other avenues of social media to see that a lot of people just don't have the same respect for police they used to which is kind of sad that you know we went away from you know back years ago I know times evolve we, we go away from the police that we used to respect. They used to have the button-up shirts and the top hats and the slacks, and now we're militarizing the police with you know knee pads and 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 guns that strap around their legs and and all types of equipment that make them look like we're something out of the army. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers, Australia-wide, and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original Guns. 
Interesting one. Muzz, this is interesting. A uh, lot of debate on the on the topic on the Facebook page. A lot of for and against. Commercial drones shot down. Uh, police launch investigation. This is the Canberra Times, February 17, 2019. Blake Foden is the writer. Police have started investigation after commercial drone understood to be worth $500,000. I think that's a bit overzealous, but anyway, was shot down in a rural part of the ACT. An ACT policing spokesman confirmed officers responded to an incident in Tennant about 2.15 on Thursday, February 14. Uh, as understood, Ever Energy was having a drone out. They were doing some surveying uh, along Apollo Road that landholders uh, landholders had not been notified of the surveying work. Uh, apparently, they've got this LiDAR light detection radar. I don't know what it does, but anyway, the point is, it looks like to have allegedly been shot down by... P- well, Jason, so did you say the locals were not notified? Correct, yes, language? correct, yeah. yes. And it's interesting. Let me say one thing. I did ring up people on the Facebook page were saying, well, you know, basically they treat drones as part of CASA, which is the Civil, Avia- Civil Aviation Administration. And what happens is basically drones are... It's basically the same thing under the law as aircrafts, and there was a lot of different debate going on. Uh, obviously, you know, to be within generally, I would say it would have been shotgunning distance. It would have had to have been fairly low. This is where yeah. these organisations and government think they can you know, just do things without notifying the people, which what would have been the smarter move to actually do and notify people within the area. Um, you know, people saying, well, they're going to catch the person. Well, you know, they did have the article with the police number to call in if you actually had any information that might lead to uh, an arrest. So I'm guessing from that alone, they don't know who, what, where or when. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking for more information from the, <laughs> the general public listing the police event number so yeah listen listen i'm not saying you should go i don't advocate shooting down drones but at the end of the day do i have a problem with it not really i don't really care to be brutally honest i mean you should have notified people this is what happens when people take things in their own hands don't recommend people doing it by any stretch of the imagination you know you should ring casa but in saying that too Mars, i did ring up spoke to a lovely lady from casa on wednesday morning and i said listen what i'd like to find out is how many um, cases casa has bought against people for the illegal drone use and we had a good chat for about five minutes. She said she didn't know the answer. Um, she took my number and said we'd get someone to call me back. Uh, needless to say, Muzz, I haven't had a call back. So <laughs> I'm not saying that I won't have a call back, but in my opinion, I would say, and I could be wrong, guys, I don't know the information yet, but it's probably not looking good that the CASA has any runs on the board, so to speak, of people being charged and subsequently in trouble for using drones for illegal usage. So we'll see in the future, guys. I don't know. What's your thoughts, Muzz, in general? Okay, so look, I, I wouldn't advocate anyone shoot down drones, but I, I, I must admit I'm happy that this drone got shot down. I'm very happy about it. And the reason why is because uh, this was a surveying drone, right? It would have been very expensive because it would have had surveying equipment on it, I guess, you know, so, and they were obviously using it to measure something out. I guess they feel like they can just fly drones over people's property whenever they want to. The reason why I'm happy that it got shot down is because maybe this, maybe they'll learn that they just can't do that. And I don't want them to do that. I don't want the government or any company or anyone else to think that they can fly a drone over your house whenever they want or over your property uh, without having to seek permission or anything. Yeah, some people were saying on there, well, they don't need the permission. You know, you you don't, you don't own the land above your property to a certain distance, which I think is about thirty meters, possibly or so. And I'm thinking, well, if it's in thirty meter distance well, and it was well, in shotgunning well, what, distance, what does that mean? That you can fly a jumbo jet over your house only a hundred meters above you know your what? head? I don't so, think so. Hey, some people were even saying on the thing they they treat drones as the same as a commercial airliner. And I said, I know the government, out of their stupidity 
might not have drafted the correct appropriate, if there is an inappropriate legislation, saying, why would you put drones in the same class as a commercial airline under CASA? It's just exactly. stupid. But that's stupid policy from government. So, you know, obviously I'm not putting, even though the legislation groups them together, it's stupid to group a commercial airliner with a drone. Drones don't fly exactly. 60 metres over the top of my property in a 747 airliner. You know, it's, it's, let's, let's get real here. Exactly. Look, uh, I, I don't like the idea of the government or any corporation or any any third party entity being able to just fly drones over your property at low levels because at the end of the day, drones are usually used for surveillance. I'd like to think that most people, what they're doing in their backyard is at least somewhat private. And when you give them a license, a social license, I guess, to fly over your properties whenever they feel like it, well, then all privacy is completely lost in your backyard. I mean, even now, I know the fact that our military satellites, they can peer into virtually anyone's backyard and see every single blade of grass. I recognize that. But most of those satellites are not going to be looking in your backyard. They're going to be looking at other military installations in other countries, right? So but these sort of drones, I mean, they're, they're, they're very invasive. They invade your privacy. And I've got no problem with they, them using them if they actually seek permission from the landowner. And, yep. then, and I don't think that takes. I don't think that's very hard to do. A simple knock on the door or a phone call and say, "Listen, uh, don't be alarmed. We're going to be flying some surveillance drones overhead just to measure out certain areas. Uh, we just like to let you know, and and um, you know, so that you know you're not." alarmed by it. I mean, that, something like that would be nice. It's interesting also because I think it's Evoan Energy declined to answer any questions about the incident. Uh, a spokesman said inquiries about any matters need to be sent to the ACT policing. Because one of the local farmers, Andrew Geeky, if I've got that correct, who owns farmland in Lanyon, not far from tenants, said he's seen an increased number of drones in rural areas in recent years. Mr Geeky said farmers were generally wary of unannounced drones in case they were being used by criminals or animal activists to spy on their properties. We've found a few in the paddocks too, where people obviously flown them out of range and crashed. Uh, from a farming perspective, I can understand being wary of drones, but I wouldn't shoot one down. So obviously the farmer, I guess, playing the nice farmer there, which is good because you know this is what happens if you don't let people know. I mean, these things can happen to you. But I don't well, know. well, that's I mean, that's a really, really valid point that guys made. Actually, how do you know who owns the drone, right? So it could be owned by criminals spying on your land. It could be owned by um, some enthusiast who. Uh, I guess is lost or whatever it is, or it could be owned by the government or the military. You don't know who owns the drone that's flying over your property. So this is why I said to you before, I just don't think it's a very good policy for uh, any company or organisation to not have to seek permission or at least let you know that they're going to be flying a, a drone near your property or over your property for whatever reason. And I'm not surprised that this drone got shot down. And uh, look, I wouldn't advocate it, uh, certainly not, but I'm not surprised, and I'm quite happy that it did, and I'm not surprised that the energy company or whoever it is is not commenting on it because I reckon they know they know that they, they stuffed up. They should have uh, sought permission or at least let those uh, people know where, when they were going to be flying a drone over their property. They should have told them about I can buy it, a right? helicopter for 500000 It must be one expensive goddamn drone. That I don't think I don't think the the money is in the actual drone, Jason. I think it's in the actual uh, equipment that's on it. 
uh, that's not, that's where the drone's probably only worth fifty grand, if that, if it's a really good commercial one. So look, uh, look, I'm well. Like hard said, lesson I'm, learned. Hard lesson yeah. learned for that energy company. This is what happens exactly. when you don't let people know that you're in the area. Like I said, we don't condone it, but these things are going to happen when at the moment. Because when I rang Casa too, I said to the lady, I said if I report, because one guy on my Facebook page kept you know banging on about, oh, I'll ring Casa, and I said, I rang Casa, and I said, well, okay, so I see a drone. In my property, my girlfriend or wife's, you know, sunbaking with my kids there. So I, so I see a drone. I ring Casa, 400 kilometers away, 500 kilometers away, and say, oh, there's a drone in my backyard. Just letting you guys know. Uh, what does it look like? I don't know. It's a DJI or something. Looks, I don't know. doesn't have any markings on it. It doesn't have somebody's name on it. Now, you, what you will find very interesting, you know what she did say, and you will laugh at this. She goes, yes, we are looking at registering and making Jones so people know who they are. Mm. So obviously policy is coming uh, surrounding drones and having them identifiable either by some sort of serial number. Now, I don't know how I'm going to see a serial number on a drone 40 metres away. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work, but very interesting she elaborated on that. So Yeah, well, anyway, there you go. But anyway, let's move on to the next subject, Jason. Yeah, mate, final one. This is a good one. This was Catherine Mosby just yes. a few days ago on 2GB. Really good one. Might we'll play the audio first. She's talking about... Uh, the the drought, how it's really affected kangaroos, which we were talking about just a little bit earlier. And we'll play that audio first, then we'll come back. So let's play the audio on 2GB with Catherine Mosby. Dr. Catherine Mosby is the principal scientist at Arid Recovery and a research fellow at the University of New South Wales. Doctor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. They're hard to look at, but you want everyone to look at them. That's right. I mean, we've been working in the arid zone now for nearly 25 years, and this is something we see you know, on a quite a regular basis. And I think people, yeah, need to be aware that this, this is a massive issue out there. We're talking about millions of kangaroos dying, not just a few hundred. Yeah, well, I said it could be tens of thousands, it could be hundreds of thousands, but I don't know. You're the expert. Do you put it at millions? It would be starving and wasting away and dying right now? Yeah, that's right. So the kangaroo population in Australia is around 45 million, but it does fluctuate. And that's a lot higher than it used to be. So... Before we had European settlement here, kangaroo numbers were a lot lower. So what we've done to the environment is clear the, the habitat and produce grasslands. We've added water for them and we've got rid of their predators like dingoes. So we've got really high numbers of kangaroos anyway. And then uh, when they build up during good seasons and we get these droughts, we have millions and millions of them dying a very slow and painful death. I'm guessing another factor is you've got so many people out there who well, their heart might be in the right place, but, but their head doesn't help the situation, right? They think, oh, hang on, no, this is, this is Skippy. You can't go shooting Skippy. That's right, and I think that's what... So our kangaroo industry, we, we used to eat a lot more kangaroo and, and we used to have a lot more kangaroo processes, uh, people shooting kangaroos. So in 2008, I think we had about 3,500 kangaroo harvesters out there and 2017, we, that's dropped by half. So a lot of the animal rights groups have um, put a lot of pressure on different markets, um, saying that it's not ethical to shoot kangaroos and eat kangaroos. And, and we're saying, well, that's, that's not what the science is saying. The science is saying that actually eating kangaroo is one of the best things you can do for the environment and for animal welfare in terms of eating meat. Also, if you had a choice on which way you were going to die, and most of us don't, but I mean, you go and have a look at this video, and I've got the link up on 2GB.com right now. It's only a five-minute documentary, but I'll tell you what, it'll stay with you for a long time because if you had a choice of a, of a bullet or just wasting away and losing all of your, your ability to stand up and then all of a sudden being pecked away by, by birds who are eating you alive, essentially, I mean, gosh, I know which way I'd want to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the studies I've done into the Roo industry shows that there's a 97% um, you know, single bullet death rate, which is which is you know really really high and really fantastic. And you think about the fact that they're they're living a natural life, they're socialising naturally with their other other kangaroos, they can move wherever they want, so they're not restricted. They're eating a natural diet, um, and so you know they have a very humane death, and they're an organic, um, really environmentally friendly meat. When it comes to roux as an eating option. I know a lot of people who are very health conscious who eat a lot of kangaroo because it's such a lean meat. And, and you think about it, I mean, they're free range, right? I mean, they're, I know a lot of mates of mine who live in the bush say, oh, no, you never eat a kangaroo. They're full of maggots. Can you just break that down for me? Because I've got, I've got mates who are fitness fanatics in the city who eat kangaroo all the time. And I've got mates in the bush who say, mate, they're full of maggots. You'd never touch one. Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, about, only about 15% of Australians eat roux, and that's on average only about four times a year. So it's, it's a very low proportion of the population. But, but the roux industry is, is carefully managed and the meat is checked. And a lot of the scientific studies are basically saying that the same amount of um, bacteria is found on roux meat as is found on other meats. So it's, it's definitely a safe and healthy meat to eat. And environmentally, it takes 300 litres of water to produce one kilogram of beef. It takes 91 litres to produce a kilogram of roux. And if you look at the um, CO2 output in terms of carbon emissions, Mm. it's 0.75 kilograms CO2 equivalent versus 25 kilograms for a cow. So you're looking at a a meat that's not only really healthy, it's low in fat, less than 2% fat and high in protein, but it's also really good for the environment. What could we do right now as a nation to prevent this stuff from happening? I know some of it you can't prevent because we're in the middle of a horrific drought and animals are dying everywhere. I had a farmer the other day who said, mate, that the birds are falling out of the trees. I mean, the fish are dying in the rivers. I know that animals are dying everywhere, but what could we do as a nation, apart from eating more of the stuff and probably allowing people to hunt more roos, to stop this mass death of kangaroos? So we need to keep the numbers down to a sustainable level and not let them get to these really high levels where they basically eat out all the vegetation and then die this horrible death. I mean, it's not good for the environment either to have kangaroos at that level. So we need to be implementing a lot more um, harvesting and culling of them you know, before they get to that level. And to do that, we need a social licence. So we need people to accept that that's what we're doing. We need people to eat more kangaroos. We need uh, Meat and Livestock Australia to support the kangaroo industry which they don't really do at the moment. Um, yeah, we really need to, I guess, not be swayed by a lot of these animal rights groups um, that are really closing down a lot of the markets for kangaroo leather and, and kangaroo meat. I really appreciate you coming on, and I hope some of those animal rights activists take the time to have a look at this five-minute documentary. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mars, what's your thoughts on this one? We see a lot of you know, kangaroos in the area across the country getting really taken down by the you know, lack of water and the drought in Australia. It's becoming really bad and it's a good source of food, protein, and we should be utilising it a bit more. Absolutely, mate. And it's great to see more scientists like uh, Miss Mosby there speaking common sense, really. I mean, doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, presenting actual science, you know, and, and solutions as well. But, mate, we've got, we've, we've got so many restrictions on kangaroo hunting, it's just not funny. And even if you're a farmer on your own land, you still need permits to shoot kangaroos. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's nonsense that you need permits to shoot roos on your own land. I mean, it's just got to stop. The, the government need to recognise that the population of kangaroos is out of control. It's just out of control. There are 
millions and tens and tens of millions of them everywhere. And they just got to allow farmers without permission to manage their own land how they see fit. And if it means that they need to shoot 50 kangaroos to try and keep the numbers down, well, then so be it. That's what it needs to happen. And also, at the same time, they need to encourage kangaroo shooting for recreational hunters. Now, I just don't see why we can't shoot the grey kangaroo, the most common one, the grey kangaroo, um, in state forest, for example, right? Maybe if you have it even, even on a tag system, right, so that you can at least tell them that you've, uh, you know, you, you want to get a tag, maybe you're allowed maybe two or three kangaroos a year or something like that, so that you can fulfill your tag limit and then tell the government that provides also valuable science to them. It tells them how many have been culled. So, uh, look, I just think it's the current policy on kangaroos is just nonsensical. It's not based on science. It's not based on evidence. It's not based on the real-world experiences of people with kangaroos. And you've seen recently, Jason, in the recent floods, in Queensland and with the drought, I mean, the devastation on the animals is absolutely horrendous. It's good it's, to see the, the scientists pretty much, you know, they were talking about shooting, even Fordham, which I'm not a big fan of Ben Fordham, really, uh, you know, was actually saying, yeah, yeah, people go shooting for them. And she was sort of advocating the shooting of them as well and how they're a great source of protein. I mean, really, really good to have that sort of on mainstream media. And she, I mean, you know what, I might even give her a contact and um, see if she wanted to come onto the show to have a chat about the science behind kangaroos and, and you know, using them for a protein source, the obstacles that we face on, you know, making them more of a species that we can control a bit better than we currently do yeah absolutely i 100 percent agree i mean it is on our national symbol uh but you know what mate they are a pest let's just you know they, they might be cute and furry and cuddly but mate they are a pest there is just tens of millions of them and they are they cause so much devastation on on people's properties and when it comes to tragic natural events like the flood and drought there's just uh, unbelievable suffering for the kangaroos. So it's, I think it's incumbent on the people to, to really play a major role in managing the kangaroo population because I, I think that's the only humane thing to do. We need to use them as a source for protein. We need to encourage more eating of kangaroo meat because it's one of the healthiest meat you can eat and it's sweet and it's really nice and we need to encourage more exporters exporting as well. So... It's, it's the only way to go, Jason, in my opinion. I just don't understand why it's so hard to, um, uh, to get the government on board. They've always got to be, uh, they're always got to be uh, brought over kicking and screaming on these sort of issues uh, because they just don't want to have any negative publicity with animal lib groups and also green groups. So, unfortunately, that's another fight, political fight that we've got to, um, we've got to come up uh, in the future. Mate, if you want to cook me some more of that bush plum, uh, Rue, I'm more than happy for you to cook some more for me. I don't even know <laughs> if they even sell it in Woolworths anymore. I'm not 100%. Coles. But, they usually um, sell it in Coles. There's a lot of kangaroo meat sold in Coles. So, um, I'm not trying to give Coles a plug. I'm just saying that's where I get it. Guys, so oh, that's going to be the end of the show, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Lots of different topics we spoke about today. Like I said, guys, I can't reiterate enough. Send in your 
emails, send in your voicemails. We'd love to hear, especially regarding the police one and what you would do. We'd love to hear uh, some information back from you guys as to are we, are we on the wrong page? Are we are we on the same page? Do you think we're, we're hitting the nail on the head? What do you guys think? And uh, ultimately, this show is about getting interaction, so we need your help. And if you like the show and you listen to the show on a regular basis, of course, support us on Patreon, guys. Like five bucks a month, it's cheap as hell to you know for the content that we put out. It takes me a lot of time, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. And a little bit of support, you know, would be greatly appreciated. And uh, a lot of podcasts coming up. I've got a long range shooting and reloading for accuracy podcast coming up. Uh, I'm going to do a bit more things. I'm going to be talking to the guys at uh, Kestrel Ballistics as well. I think about their products in regards to you know shooting and um, you know weather stations and being able to shoot long distance with ballistics apps as well. So I'm going to get them on the show. Probably going to organise some Sarah coding stuff and some talking to a few uh, gunsmiths as well. So getting back into more of that uh, gun related stuff and keeping the politics stuff for me and Muzz on the straight shooting podcast. So, mate, mate anything to add, Muzz, before we finish off? Or yeah, I mean, a lot of people uh, complain that we talk about too much on politics on the show, but look, this is what this show is designed for. It's the straight straight shooting episode, which is mainly designed to tackle gun laws, politics, and gun rights. So, you know, Jason provides so much more content as well on other subjects in terms of shooting and hunting. We've produced a lot of videos on YouTube over the years. So just get onto our YouTube page, guys, and you'll see a lot of hunting videos myself and Jason have produced. Um, so we do try our best to accommodate everyone's uh, listening pleasure. But uh, as you know, as we know, Jason, politics is one subject that we simply, especially gun owners, we just can't ignore because it does, does affect us. It affects us greatly. And there's only, so, people ask me, there's only so much hunting, guys, you can do, you know, like so many deer hunting podcasts I can actually do or goat hunting podcasts. I've just got to keep creating content as it as it pops up, you know, with you know as things pop up in media, as things pop up over the years, different people, different people to interview. But yeah, I'm interested in getting into those, you know, Sarah coding, ballistics, all that, you know, hands-on type of gun stuff which I think would be great. Let us know. I mean, this is our top-rating podcast, straight shooting on the whole platform. So I guess some people enjoy it more than other people, but hopefully we're catering yeah, a little bit for everybody. And I know we probably over the years developed more of a, a politics view, but, I mean, that's because, you know, firearms are politics. Without the politics, you don't have any guns to go hunting. You don't have any guns to go shooting. You know, we see the ridiculous laws like zombie knives. So, you know, it's further and further restrictions. We have to talk about this sort of stuff. So this next state election, guys, that's coming up in New South Wales, and we've got a federal election coming up soon, just remember, always make your vote count. Be very careful who you vote for, okay? And uh, get the word out. Make sure you tell all your hunting buddies and shooting buddies and anyone that loves freedom, that wants to maintain our wonderful lifestyle we have in this country, our, our rights, our liberties, wants to maintain that. Make sure you make your vote count. It's very important. Don't. Don't be a non-participant. You know, we need as many pro-gun voices out there, as many conservatives and centre-right and right-wing people out there to uh, vote in good policies that are going to keep this country free and prosperous uh, for all of our all of us and all of our kids in the future. Absolutely, mate. So guys, write in. Love to hear from you. Send us in your stories, your hunting stories. If you're getting into certain things, you know, into new parts of the sport, let us know. Of course, if you've got topics that you'd like to discuss, things that are affecting you in particular or things that you're seeing out in the industry, mate, write in. That's what we want to see. I know we keep harping on it, but that's the most important thing, getting you guys uh, involved in the show. And if you also, if you want to be on the show, another most important one, Muzz, send us your phone numbers. Go onto the Facebook page or on Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your 
uh, phone number. We'd love to hear from you. We will give you a call. Obviously, we'll let you guys know before the before the interview takes place. We'll just merge you into the call and take your call on uh, on shooting-related activities or what you guys want to talk about. So it'll be at a pre-planned time. So if you send what you want to talk about and a phone number, I will correspond with you before we do the show and uh, find out when you're going to be free and you can do it at the same time that we're recording the show and we'll get you on and discuss your particular topics. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, my name is Jason Sounds. And I'm Muzz. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.